0: Hey everyone, welcome to week two of the ruthless elimination of hurry series that we're doing. We're looking at how we can adopt a way of life that Jesus modeled to us—a way that is considered the easy yoke, a way that eliminates hurry in our life. And if you missed last week, we covered the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude that Jesus practiced throughout his ministry and his time here on Earth. And um, hopefully you guys were able to apply that maybe in this last week. Uh, We talked about the challenge of just really starting where you're at, not starting where you think you should be, but starting where you're at. And maybe that could even mean like just five minutes when you wake up to just quiet the external noise and the quiet the internal noise, to make yourself open and available to God and His Spirit in each day or maybe it's 10 minutes before going to bed it's just starting where you're at if that's where you need to start and the hope and prayers that you would continue to grow in that discipline and as we apply some of the truths that we're learning through god's word and through this series um that we would see how it starts eliminating that hurry in our lives and so another spiritual discipline we're going to be covering tonight is sabbath but before We jump in, I know we just pray, but let me just ask God specifically to just speak uh, through me tonight. So God, we just, we welcome you, we welcome your spirit, God. And um, God, I pray tonight that you would just speak uniquely and specifically to each one of us in a way that you want us to hear your truth and your word. And God, that we pray that again, we'd be more than just hearers of your word, but that we'd be doers of your word. That we'd be able to apply this to our lives, God, and, and truly seek you and grow more in love with you. God, we, we, that is our desire. We just want to know you more. And we pray that you can just reveal more of yourself to us tonight. And it's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. So a professor from Charleston Southern University School of Business named Michael Zigarelli he conducted an obstacles to growth survey of over 20,000 Christians across the globe. And he identified busyness as the major block in most people's relationship to God. And this was his hypothesis um, of that survey that we have here. It says, it may be the case that one, Christians are assimilating a culture of busyness, hurry and overload, which leads to two, god becoming more marginalized in christians lives which leads to three a deteriorating relationship with god which leads to four christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live which leads to five more conformity to a culture of busyness hurry and overload and then the cycle begins again And this is why we are talking about the ruthless elimination of hurry here. Because this is affecting not only our mental, emotional, and physical lives, it is affecting our spiritual lives. And here at UNITE, our mission and our goal is to cultivate Christ-centered lives through community. And we can't do that if we are not truly putting Christ in the center of our lives. And busyness and hurry, they are not compatible with the lifestyle that Jesus has modeled to us and that he's called us to. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus' greatest call and command in our life is to love him and to love others. And that is very difficult to do when we are constantly living in a life of hurry, hurry, hurry and don't have any time. And I get it, sometimes it does. It feels like they're too busy to have any time with God and and anyone for that matter. So we have a problem, right? And it's time. But the solution is not more time. Because I think if we're all honest with ourselves, if God happened to just give us more hours in a day or more days in a week, chances are we would just fill it with more stuff that we are doing, and we would just feel even more exhausted by the end of the week. But God does have a solution, and I promise I will get to it tonight. But first, I wanna better understand how we got to this place of busyness and hurry in our lives. So a little brief history lesson. How many people are love history stuff? All right, so a couple of you will enjoy this. The rest of you, bear with me. So a little brief history lesson here. Um, the clock was invented in a monastery. Uh, Saint Benedict, in the sixth century came up with this idea of fixed hour prayer and seven times a day. And, and so obviously to do that, they would have to have some form of measurement, incremental ways to know how many times they've done it or, or, or the same time in the day. Um, and so I don't know how, but somehow they figured out some you know, ancient way of, of telling time in the monastery. Um, but then it wasn't until 1370 that historians kind of point to as the, the turning point in the West relationship with time. That was the year the first public clock was ever outside of a monastery that was put up in Cologne, Germany, and it marked a shift in, the, like I said, the Western relationship with time. Before that, time was more natural. It was linked to the earth and its rotation on its axis in the four seasons. You went to bed with the moon, you woke up with the sun, The summers were long and busy, and the winters were short and slow. And so there was a rhythm to the day and even the year. But after the clock came out, time became a little bit more artificial. And even though it was making us more efficient, we became a little bit more machine and a little bit less human. You know, we weren't waking up by just the sunrise anymore. now we're waking up to alarm clocks and, and then the rest of the day is just looking at that clock, trying to keep up and keep going. Then in 1879, Thomas Edison came out with the light bulb, which did a number on our time of rest. So before the light bulb, people in North America on average got 10 to 11 hours of sleep. And you might ask, why? Well, because it got dark and there's literally nothing you can do in the dark. And so they would just sleep. And, and so they got lots of rest, 11 to 10 to 11 hours. But now the average person gets about seven hours of sleep. So that's about three to four hours less a day. And I know even some of you, including myself, are thinking like seven hours is actually luxury. I usually function off of like four to five hours of sleep, um, but that's my own fault. Staying up too late playing Fortnite, right? Yeah. Um, Then about centuries ago, about a century ago, sorry, not centuries, a century ago, technology started to change our relationship to time yet again through so-called labor-saving devices. So to stay warm in cold climates, you used to have to go out into the forest, cut down a tree without a chainsaw, so probably with an ax or a sharp stone, and then you had to chop it up and then use it for firewood to warm the house. Whereas now we simply just walk over to the wall on the thermostat and press a couple arrows and magically the temperatures change for us. You used to have to walk everywhere. Now you can drive and fly. In order to stay in touch with people, you would have to write letters and wait for months before you could get a reply, where now you send texts or emails and and instantly get a reply. Although I know many of you don't respond to my texts or emails for about a month, so I don't know what's happening there. We're becoming more and more efficient, more than ever before. We've saved all this time, yet despite our labor-saving devices like dishwashers, washing machines, microwave, and toasters, we all feel like we have less time and not more. Then in the 1960s, all sorts of social and political theorists were all predicting a main problem in the future would not be too much work get this, it would be too much leisure time. This was a concern for them. They thought we were gonna have too much leisure time. One famous subcommittee under Richard Nixon in 1967, I believe this is when he was a senator, so before he became a president, they predicted that in 1985 that the average person would work 22 hours in a week for 27 weeks of the year. So that's like half of a regular work week for like half of the year. This is what they're predicting because of all these amazing labor-saving devices they're creating, they're concerned like people are gonna have way too much time on their hands. Well, unfortunately, that was not the case because ever since the 70s, um, that leisure time has gone down by 37% in North America. And not surprisingly, over the same time period, we've seen the death of the Sabbath in the American life. You see, until the 1960s, in some places, even as recent as 1990s, uh, blue laws forced businesses to close on Sabbath, and basically a government-mandated speed limit on the pace of the American life. Nothing was open except for church on Sundays. And then 7-Elevens and some other stores started popping up, some chains everywhere, and they were open seven days a week until 11 o'clock at night and so other stores started feeling in order to compete they would have to follow suit and then here we are today with stores that open seven days a week everywhere then came 2007 this is when all of you should have been alive by now uh, unless you're in the wrong group tonight but in 2007 things really started ramping up and this will be recorded in the history books this was the year that steve jobs launched the iPhone out into the world. It's also the year that Facebook and Twitter became global. It was the beginning of iCloud, the App Store, and the list of other technological breakthroughs all around 2000, 2007. It's kind of the official start date of the digital age. And more than anything, the smartphone, and over the last decade, has changed what it means to be human. There are cutting edge studies out now that it's, it's shown that it's rewiring our neurobiology and decreasing, if not demolishing, our attention, our focus, and even our ability, like we talked about last week, to be present, like Jesus was. And think about the implications of this area, if this, for our relationship, for God and with other people. Psychologists argue that most Americans' relationship to their phone falls in the category of compulsion. We have to check that text, that email, that alert or notification, if not full-on addiction, in which if you look at the definition of addiction, it's the relentless pull to a substance or inactivity that becomes so compulsive, it ultimately interferes with everyday life, and by that definition, nearly every single person I know, including myself, to some degree, struggles with um, the phone or the internet, being addicted to that. If you don't think you're a digital addict, prove it, and turn off your phone for a full 24 hours, and then wait to see how long it takes for you to wither on the floor, foaming in the mouth, going through withdrawals. So all this to say, history lesson over, I would argue that something has gone deeply wrong in our culture. Things that were supposed to create convenience and more time, like the clock, the light bulb, and all these labor-saving devices, the digital devices, are now the very things that have given us license to fill up even more of our time with hurry and busyness. So again, time is the problem, but having more time is obviously not the solution. Again, because that's exactly what all these devices and things did for us. They gave us more time and we just filled it with more stuff and more busyness. So what's the solution to hurry and busyness? So last week we learned that one way was to eliminate hurrying in our lives was through the discipline of silence and solitude. Again, it was, it was Jesus' way that he modeled to us when he would go off into the wilderness and, and he would have that quiet time with the Father getting centered, getting his focus, remembering what his purpose and his mission in this life is. And so that's one way. And tonight I'm gonna introduce another way that we have as a spiritual discipline called Sabbath. And the history of the Sabbath starts in the beginning. So Genesis two, one through three, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So built into the rhythms of creation by the creator himself is a day, a day that is blessed and holy and built into the human soul and the the fabric of what makes you you is this design, is this desire and ache for the day of Sabbath rest. It's the way Brilliant Mind designed our souls and our society to flourish and to thrive. And then this verse that we just read, it says that God rested. And you think about it, was God tired or burned out? I really don't see the all-powerful God that we know and love ever getting tired or burned out. And so, so what was going on here? And if you look, the, the word Sabbath comes to us from the Hebrew word Shabbat. And the word literally means to stop, but it could also be translated to delight. And it has a dual idea of stopping and also delighting in God and in our lives in his world. And so the Sabbath is an entire day that is set aside to follow God's example, to stop and delight. To delight in the world, to delight in our lives in it, and most importantly, to delight in God himself. And so he didn't rest because he was tired, he rested or stopped from all his work to delight in it. And, and he showed us this model and this example for us to, to follow as well. In John Mark Comer's book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he says, if you're new to the Sabbath, a question to give shape to your practice is this, what could I do for 24 hours that would fill my soul with deep throbbing joy? that would make me spontaneously combust with wonder, awe, gratitude, and praise. Dan Allender in his book Sabbath, had this to say about the Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. It is the best day we anticipate Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and the day we remember Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is a holy time where we feast, play, dance, have sex in the context of marriage, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in its fullness. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it to make it holy because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone in a week. So all this is rooted in God. He rested. He stopped. He set it aside an entire day to delight in his world, in his creation. But notice what else God did. He blessed the seventh day and he made things that, or he blessed it and made it holy. And so two things worth noting here. First, the Sabbath is blessed. And in the Genesis story, he blesses three things. First, he blessed the animal kingdom and gave them an invocation of be fruitful and multiply. And then we see that him do this again with the human, um, the humanity, where he's, again, be fruitful and multiply, produce more life. And then we see that he blesses the Sabbath. So he blesses the animals, he blesses the humans, and then he blesses a day, which can be a little bit confusing at first. But then you think of it this way. So that what that what saying is that the Sabbath, like the animal kingdom and like humans, has the capacity to procreate life. It has the capacity to, to procreate, to fill the world up with more life. The Sabbath is how we fill our souls with, back up with life. There was a survey done by a doctor who cited the happiest people on earth. And near the top of that list, was a group of Christians called the Seventh-day Adventists who are religious literally about the Sabbath. And the doctor noted that they lived 10 years longer than the average American. And if you were to take a Sabbath within once every seven days over a lifetime, it would add up to 10 years. And so when you say that the Sabbath is life-giving, that's not an empty rhetoric. That's, and if that's true, then every time you Sabbath you're statistically and scientifically likely to get back some extra years on your life. And so I'm sure some of you guys are thinking like, I'm gonna Sabbath three days a week now. But not only will you live longer, but more importantly, you're gonna live better. And so the Sabbath day is blessed, and like the other things God blessed in the beginning of creation, it produces life. Now, remember, it also said that God made the Sabbath day holy. And this idea that the the day was holy would have been very foreign to that original audience of the ancient culture. Because in that culture, the gods were found in the world of space, not of time. They were found in the holy temples or holy shrines or idols or holy mountains. But this God, the one true God, is not found in a place, but in this case, a day. And if you want to go meet with this God, you have to set aside that a day or time in a day in the week to Shabbat to stop and to delight and experience him. And so the Sabbath is a day that is blessed and holy, a rhythm in creation six to one. And when we apply this rhythm, we experience health and life. But when we fight this rhythm or ignore it or suppress it or make excuses like many of us do, we reap the consequences. For our mind, we grow mentally lethargic, numb, uncreative, distracted, restless. Emotional unhealth becomes our new normal. Irritability, anger, cynicism, sarcasm. And with our bodies, we get tired and worn out. Our immune systems start to falter. We we miss a step and we get cold or we get sicknesses. It's like our nervous systems are trying to get our attention and yet we just keep pushing on until in- inevitably we crash. And something in our mind or our body gives out and we just fall flat on our back. And I remember a couple of years ago feeling this way with my life. I just feel like we were just always in a hurry, always busy. I was working here full-time. Holly was also working in ministry full-time with Kid Life at the time. So we, with both these ministries, we had the extracurricular stuff with them but then we also had our three kids going to three different schools with their different activities and it just felt like our life was out of balance, out of control. We rarely had a meal around the table together. Um, We, yeah, we just felt like we never had any time. Both Holly and I struggled with people pleasing. So when people would ask us to do something, we would always say yes, even though we were already maxed out and we didn't create margins or boundaries in our life. And then COVID happened and we were forced to, to come together as a family. And I know as awful as COVID was for so many people, this was a blessing in disguise for, for me and my family to slow down to recalibrate our lives and to start reevaluating like what's important in our life. And I remember that time Holly decided to step down from a full-time job to a part-time position here at the church so that she could spend more time with the kids too and we started having meals around the table again, we started having great conversations and playing games and watching TV series together as a family. It was such a rich and beautiful time together. And I'm guessing many of you have your stories of burning out or feeling overwhelmed or hurried in your life. And and if not, I'm sure eventually you you will. And I wish I could say that ever since that COVID Sabbath, the forced COVID Sabbath, I mean, um, that we created this healthy boundaries and we've been doing it great ever since. But even as of recently, we've just been realizing like it, it feels like we're falling back into those unhealthy rhythms of pre-COVID where we're just taking on too much and just hurried, And, and I even find myself saying those words when people ask, how are you doing? Oh good. Just busy. And it's like, ah, I hate saying that. And it's like, I, I feel like God's just saying like, Mark, what are you doing? Why do you continually chase after this unhealthy pattern in your life of hurry, hurry, hurry. And that's, I think that's why this whole series is just kicking my butt. It's like, ouch like it's I'm struggling with this stuff, you guys. I wish I could be up here just saying, Oh, I got this perfect pattern and system for you guys to take on but I'm I'm with you guys. I'm struggling, just trying to find this healthy balance in my life. And I know that I want so much more um, than what it's been, which is the hurriedness. And I think maybe this is why God has to eventually command us to Sabbath. And I mean, doesn't that sound crazy? It's like me commanding my kids, you have to eat your ice cream or pizza. Or, you know, for us, like, you have to go enjoy live music in in the day at the beach or something. It just seems crazy. You'd think that we'd be chomping at the bit to have Sabbath rest in our life. But instead, we continually choose to go against God's design for our life. And, and we keep on just going and going and going. And because of our immaturity, our dysfunction and addiction, God has to command his people to do something so deeply life-giving, and that's rest. When you look at the 10 Commandments in Exodus 20, you'll notice that the longest commandment of the 10, like some of them are just a little sentence here, a couple sentence here, the longest paragraph or commandment is about the Sabbath. And it's the only one that actually kind of shows like a, a reason why it's there as well. And so we're gonna look at Exodus 28 through 11. It says, remember the Sabbath day to, by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, or heaven, heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So if you imagine the Ten Commandments in a pie chart. This would basically be like 30% of that pie would be about this command, the Sabbath, and, finding, and keeping it holy. And I love here how the opening words of this verse is remember, because we all know how it's just too easy for us to forget that there's a day that is blessed and holy, and it's easy to get sucked into the crazy, fast speed of life and let that pace of your life just be shy of insanity to forget about our creator and his creation, which includes us and other people around us, to remember the, that life is a gift, to remember to take time to delight in it as an act of grateful worship, to remember to be present to the moment and joy. We as humans have amnesia, so therefore God has to command us to take a Sabbath. It seems crazy, but he, has to, or he commands us to remember and then he says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And so that notice that line, a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It can also be translated as set apart for the Lord or dedicated to the Lord. And so Sabbath isn't just a day for rest. It's also a day for worship. And by worship, I don't necessarily mean singing in church. I mean like whole life orientation toward God. And Sabbath is not the same as a day off. Because if we're honest, if we get a day off, a lot of times we're running errands, we're catching up on things that we were behind on, we're um, working around the house or in the yard. And it's basically we're working but just not getting paid for it. So that's, that's what a day off often looks like. On the Sabbath, all we do is rest and worship. And when most people hear worship, they're thinking that means singing Bethel songs all day and praying and reading the word and not, not knocking on all those things. Those are all great things. But again, think about it as anything that points your heart toward grateful recognition of God's reality and goodness. Again, kind of going back to John, John Mark's quote where he's saying, like, think of 24 hours of just what would bring you so much joy and pleasure in your life and and." what that would look like, which honestly, that could include just eating a burrito on the back porch with some friends. It could mean walking on the beach. It could mean being in the deer blind for some of you. And then the command ends with the why, the driving motivation behind the Sabbath. It says, "For for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And again, the the Sabbath is the only commandment with the why behind it. And the why behind it is because God did it. God rested. And it's like, who are we to think that we can somehow not do what even God did um, as far as getting that rest? And we think that we're above rest in this life. I don't think so. So God goes back to the Genesis story, calling his people into the rhythms of grace to find rest in him. One of the most famous lines from St. Augustine, uh, writing at the fall of the Roman Empire, he says, You have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And more recently, Dallas Willard put it this way. Desire is infinite partly because we were made by God, made for God, made to need God, and made to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. We are only at home in God. When we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains, but it is displaced upon things that will certainly lead to destruction. ultimately nothing in this life, apart from God, can satisfy our desires. And tragically, we still continue to chase after our desires, most oftentimes that do not include God. And the result is a chronic state of restlessness, or worse, angst, anger, disillusionment, depression, which all lead to a life of hurry, a life of busyness, overload, shopping materialism careerism a life of more which in turn makes us even more restless and the cycle spirals out of control and so god designed our souls for sabbath to stop and to delight in him and the world that he created and it gives a whole new meaning to that verse in psalm 37.4, maybe some of you have recognized this verse, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I would get told this verse in my season of singleness. um, They were trying to encourage me, basically saying, like, if you seek God, you know, go to church, read your Bible, pray, do all these things, then he will give you a wife or he will give you that perfect job that you're looking for. And that's how I and maybe some other people have interpreted that verse, that if we just see God, he's going to give us the desires that we want in this world. But from what I understand, from what we've just even read, from the creation and, and God's design for us, I believe that he's designed each of our hearts to truly just desire to be with our creator, to be with him, to find rest in him. And so when we stop and delight in him. We are given that desire, that rest. We're with him. So it's like delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, which is ultimately him. And I just wanna conclude with this thought because I don't want us to look at the Sabbath wrong like the Pharisees did and make it a legalistic thing where we think we have to add one more thing to our life to earn God's favor. If anything, God's call for us is not to add more to our life, but to subtract. It's, it's actually addition through subtraction. Um, and we're going to look more into that next week when we look at the spiritual discipline of simplicity and slowing. But I just wanted to share this reminder that Jesus gave to the Pharisees and that maybe he's going to give to us tonight from Mark 2.27. It's when they're calling him out for healing somebody on the Sabbath. It says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so these words remind us that this day was created and meant to be a blessing and not a burden to those who observed it. And maybe you're here tonight feeling overwhelmed, restless, burned out, and tired, like like I have felt in the past weeks. And this, the phrase often comes to my mind: If, if you want something different, do something different. If you've never experienced what Sabbath rest feels like—that stop into delight—maybe just plan on on trying to do that. Plan it like you would like a holiday. Like how some of you might be even looking into Thanksgiving this week. There's no way in your mind that you would think of just walking through Thanksgiving like just on any other day, you look forward to it. You, you plan around it. You kind of f- figure out how you're going to fit it in your day. It's like what if we treated the Sabbath like a holiday, a holy day, right? Holiday, holy day. If we treated a Sabbath every week, just imagine having a, a holiday every week and anticipating it. It's going back to that original quote too where they're saying like it's the most you're just excited on on wednesday you're already excited for what you're going to experience on that sabbath rest day and make it something that you are genuinely excited about that you know that's just going to fill your cup and you know that it's going to point you to the creator of all the things that we could possibly enjoy in this world i know holly and i we've We've been talking about this. We, we want to start applying these very things that I'm trying to teach you guys as well. We've talked about how maybe making Friday nights like a night where each of us choose like our favorite dinner, our favorite food, and we just bring it back to the house. And, and we just power down our devices, just hang out, share stories, the highlights of the week or, or things that we're hoping and, and praying for in the coming week and just going out somewhere together as a family and just having focused time and and reflecting on God and his goodness. And and we don't have it all perfectly figured out, but it's it's progress in the making. And if that's you tonight, maybe just to be praying for that, asking God, like, what could I set in front of me that would just give me such a, a joyful anticipation of experiencing God, experiencing this creation around you? to stop and to delight. Finding something again that you'd be excited about and not feeling like you're dreading it or it's a burden or an added to-do list for you. And see what God does to our hearts and minds when we respond to his call of taking Sabbath. And if you look in Matthew 11, 28, 30 again, I would actually love if if, um, you guys could actually stand up and we don't normally do this at Unite, but I feel like we tend to believe our voice over anyone else's voice. And so I thought maybe collectively tonight we can read this verse together, and maybe that way we would maybe believe this verse a little bit more, being able to hear ourselves say it. So let's say this, Matthew eleven twenty-eight thirty. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light let's pray god we thank you that you give us a sabbath god that you would even command us to stop and delight I think we all desperately long for it, but just all don't maybe know how to do that. And God, so we pray for your wisdom in this sermon. Teach us, Lord, how to Sabbath right, to find delight in you, to find delight in your creation, God, that we would be recharged, that it would procreate life inside of us each week, God, as we start a new week, knowing that we had rested well. God, that we can just honor you in this way. And forgive us, God, for not honoring you in this way. That we've been caught up in this crazy life of hurrying. And we've seen the damage and the collateral damage that's done in our relationships with you, with other people. When we have not made ourselves available to them. Just being too busy, always playing catch up. And God, I just pray over each person here, Lord, that they would just sense a sense of peace and rest that comes from you, a sense of freedom, Lord, to just break from the bondage of slavery of this busyness and this hurry in our life, that we could experience relationships in a new way, and our relationship with you in a new way, in such a rich way, God. God, help us to surrender all these things that have maybe keeping us too busy in our life. Help us to surrender them to you. And to acknowledge, God, that you are good. We thank you that you love us so much that you would build into our hearts the rhythm of your creation, God. To stop and to rest. We love you and we praise you and it's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being a part of our community opening the word today. We here at Unite challenge you to grow in your relationship with God, to grow in your relationship with others, and to go out and live a Christ-centered life. To learn more about Unite, follow our social media pages or go to our website at mpcc.org slash Unite. God bless.